When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is your Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today, a little bit different. So Doug LaMaurice and I had never seen draft day. Scott Patsko has. So Doug and I watched it for the first time last week. Scott rewatched it. And we decided let's record a podcast about it. So coming up, it is our full draft day podcast. Best performances, worst performances, most realistic, least realistic, all sorts of things about draft day. That's coming up on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Training camp's coming up. Become a football insider subscriber. Clavin.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. All right, guys. Time for our draft day watch pod. Draft day, April 2014. That was the release date. Ivan Reitman, the director, $25 million budget, $29.5 million gross. So the ultimate nine and seven film, if ever there was one. Originally supposed to be about the Buffalo Bills, but Ohio was cheaper. So it was about the Cleveland Browns. Found a couple of reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. The New Yorker did not love this movie, surprisingly. Dull-witted movie about the flurries of player trading on NFL Draft Day. I found another random uh, review, though, that called it a richly textured character study. So there's that. Who wrote that? Was that review written written by Kevin Costner? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Clint O'Connor, who was working for us at the time, gave it a B+. Ivan Reitman told the Columbus Dispatch, I read the script in the middle of the night. It was just one of the most exciting scripts I had ever read. So he loved this movie. 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, 65% audience score on the site, which, guys, I'm going to be honest, that felt about right to me. 60%. Doug, you and I, we watched this movie for the very first time. Scott, you've seen it before you rewatched it. Is that score right? Is it too high? What did you guys think? I don't know who this movie is for, (laughs) because if you don't like football, I don't know why you would be like, hey, you want to watch an hour and 40 minute movie about football trades. And if you do like football, the whole movie you're going, oh my God, that is not right. So I'm not sure who it's for. And I don't know, Ivan Reitman, Ivan Reitman is like the Ghostbusters guy. Yeah. This guy is a legendary director. And he says, that's one of the best scripts. (laughs) Somebody said, you know what would be an interesting movie? Football. It's like, oh, what part of football? The talking. This movie is all talking. Nothing happens. There is not, there is nothing. There's like one kiss. There's no car chase. There's no, there's like three clips of highlights of football action. 
this is nothing but talking. This is like a stage play. So the idea, Ivan Reitman has lost it, man. So, but given that, I got chills three times. So I think maybe, Dan, that's your point that like overall, I'm like, I don't know why this movie was made, but it still got me a couple of times. This movie is very flawed. We're going to get to all that. But kind of like, I mean, look, for 110 minutes, it was fine. It was okay. It was not fine. The very first thing <laughs> I wrote on my notes here, and I'm glad you said that, Doug, who is the audience for this movie? You're, you're totally right about that. Like, okay, Kevin Costner is going to bring his fans. There are people who are just going to see a movie because Kevin Costner is in it. And by the way, this was a big deal at the time. I remember when it was being made and Costner was in town. He went to an Indians game and everybody was screaming and cheering. They're making a movie about the Browns. Beyond him, you're right. It, it has to be football fans that you're making this movie for. And if it's not going to be a comedy, if it's not major league where you can get away with some screwball stuff and you're trying to be serious, then you got to get some stuff right. And like every every scene, I'm like, what? What? It, the whole movie, I, I just, I don't know who this was for. They must think football fans are idiots and they just wanted to see Kevin Costner play a Browns coach and Browns fans would be happy just seeing their team in a movie. But I do not give this 60% at all. I give it way, way below. I give it replacement level scores. Borrow some PFF uh, jargon there. It's, it's not, watching it again for the second time just really confirmed that I do not like this movie. All right, let, let's dig into this. And, and Scott, I, I do think one that point you made is like, I, I feel like this movie took itself too seriously. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it should have been like airplane, but probably could have been a, a little bit lighter than it was. I could, I, I maybe going to bring this up, but also just the, the, the fact that you mentioned that it was originally going to be about the Bills and then they made it about the Browns because it, it was cheaper to film it in Cleveland. One of the co-writers is from Cleveland. So there's, I thought it was like, oh, it was like a passion project for somebody who's like, it's got to be about the Browns. The screenwriter grew up in Cleveland. It was like, no, it was, it was going to be the Bills in Ohio. It was like, I don't know. Well, you can spend less money here. So Most realistic scenes or events. Let's just kind of go around the horn here and throw them out. Doug, why don't you go first? This was incredibly realistic to me. It drew me in in the first three minutes of the movie. The guy, the Seahawks guy, who I couldn't tell for a while what the Seahawks relationship was, the two guys. I thought one was the coach and one was the GM. And then it was like, no, the guy that I thought was the coach is the GM. And I don't know who the other guy is. I thought he was the owner. Is he the owner? Chi McBride, who's like a real actor who was like there just to nod his head the whole time? I think he is. I think. So they come in and that guy is like 4.30 in the morning in Seattle and that GM is sleeping on the couch and his hand is between his knees while he sleeps. Because when you sleep on your side on a couch, you, you make that little leg pocket for your hand and it makes everything feel cozy. And I was like, that is the most realistic couch sleeping scene that I've ever seen in my life that the guy was like, I'm just going to put my hand between my thighs on camera and just sleep like this. And that drew me in because I was like, that feels real to me. But that also was right after Chris Berman started the movie talking and I almost turned it off. And I was like, Oh, Chris Berman's in this movie. I'm out. But the, but the hand between the legs got me. That was very realistic. <laughs> can, can I bring something up here? So that was on my realistic thing that the GM was sleeping in his office on draft day at 4 a.m. This is something that bugged me about the movie. When we first meet Kevin Costner, the clock is ticking. It is draft day. What is he doing? He's at his house. He's having coffee. He's arguing with his girlfriend. He's just kind of wandering around. 
I actually have a blow by blow of everything Kevin Costner did the morning of the draft before he went to the facility. So I'm going to run through this real quick with you guys and we can compare it to what you had, Doug. These are estimated times. About 8 a.m. Starts his day normally at home, getting dressed and watching TV. He drives forever just to get gas in the flats. Right. Everybody know, you know, right where he got gas. Yeah. Right near the old Cleveland.com offices. Yes. 9 a.m. He's at a water park with the owner. Then he's driving through Ohio City listening to ESPN Cleveland radio talk about his dead dad and how he's a disgrace to him. We're going to get to that. Finally arrives to the facility at probably about 10 a.m. And his girlfriend is already there and has clearly been there, even though she had to stop at her place to pick up some things after she left his house. What is he doing? It's draft day. And then, yeah. And then the things that people want him to do on draft day (laughs) later, it's like, it's draft day leave me alone and dude sonny get to work my friend by the way all this stuff it's like there's the whole thing with his girlfriend that's happening on draft day andrew barry had a baby on draft day in real life which again is like there's so many more things that have actually happened to the browns than that's more interesting than anything that happens in this fictional movie because like if you said what if uh what if we had the gm's wife have the baby on draft day be like no 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 like Andrew Barry did that and had a great draft. So yes, he was, he was wasting time, Dan. And, and I bet Wander- Andrew Barry was in the facility before 10 a.m. that day. Go ahead, Scott. I think wandering around on draft day could have been the title of this movie. But that's all he does. He's never in his office. Like the amount of conversations that happen just walking out in the open in common areas of the building or just in public is just, just amazing. But are we, are we going back to most realistic so I got yeah, one, one, one more thing yeah. about that Seattle GM that, that I want to point out is he thinks he can take advantage of Sonny because Sonny's dad died last week. That's cold. That was a very cold moment. All right, Scott, go ahead. Football's a, football's a rough business. I, one thing I wrote is they certainly got the dysfunction of the Browns right during that time period because, you know, you got the coach burning things on the GM's desk and, uh, you know, the, the, the owner kind of sticking his head in draft direction stuff like that but i think the most realistic moment for me the best moment of the movie actually is sunny turning in the card without telling anybody and drafting vontae mack first and then the reaction of vontae mack to being drafted first that's like for me that's the whole movie like everything leading up to that and everything after that is crap but like that moment that was great the acting was great that whole twist the whole gm going rogue thing that was great. And I think that's the kind of thing that to me, I would, I would watch that even as a football fan. It's like, okay, I'll believe that. I'll believe that the GM who's on his last leg, who's like just got all this stuff going on in his life, just decides, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to do this. And then, you know, this was not Chadwick Boseman's finest work, but his reaction to being drafted number one, I thought that was great. That was realistic. Yeah, I've got, I've got Bozeman on, on my list when we get to uh, to some of the performances. I, I thought that, yeah, that scene was was really good. That, that's, a, that's a solid one. I had Brown's dysfunction on my list as well. And one of the examples I had is the scout running up to the intern because he can't even get into the film, yelling that they changed the punch code. All these things we're saying is like why I never watched it before now. Because <laughs> I don't like to... This is our job. And like, I don't know if people liked, it's not our, it's not exactly our job. We're not GMs, but we're around it enough that like, I don't know if people watch movies about their jobs. 
I don't know if firefighters watch backdraft. You know what I mean? So like, I just didn't, this wasn't like fun to me, but I do, it makes me think, what was it like for Browns fans watching this in 2014 versus watching this for the first time now? Cause, cause there are a lot of things that they're doing wrong in this movie. That's like, well, that would, that's not how Andrew Barry does it. That would never happen now. But like back then when it actually came out, you were like, Oh yeah. Oh, that seems very, that's a little too close to that feels real. Oh, Oh, the coach. And, and that gets, I mean, like later with Hugh and Sashi, it's like, Oh, the coach and the GM hate each other. Wow. I wonder if that feels realistic. So like, it is weird to sort of watch this for the first time in an era when the Browns are very functional. But one of the other things I thought was realistic, very realistic was the owner medley that the owner was like, now why? And again, Ivan Reitman, again, you lost your touch, man. It's like, let's have the owner say he wants to make a splash and let's have him say it at a water park. It's like, oh my God. Like, I, I don't know. But the idea that that the owner is like, hey, I need something. You know, I know you've been studying the draft, but I need a splash. It's like, oh no, that's probably, that's very much a real thing. So I thought the owner character was realistic, but I thought the way that a guy who's trying to do his job, but his boss is kind of telling him, you know, I need to make the fans happy. And that's a push and pull that I'm, I'm sure a lot of GMs face. By the way, that water park, I, we used to have season passes to that place. I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's near, it's right next to where Geauga Lake used to be. So that's where Sonny Weaver drove that morning. He went from downtown in the flats out to Geauga Lake and then back downtown for his job. Continuity he, people. He's, he's too busy, too busy on draft. And actually one of the, and least realistic is certainly him trading the number one pick just in his car and the owner not having any idea that he was going to do it. I've also and got then asking and then asking his cat person, Hey, can we, can we handle that? You know, oh my God. Like as an off the cuff thing Are we, can that fit into the cap? What is the salary cap, by the way? Is that a thing that I, as a GM, need to be concerned about? <laughs> That's oh somebody God. else's job. <laughs> yeah. He's dating the cap person. He's fine. Uh, I also have the Browns having the Browns being happy with the quarterback they have who barely made it through the season before eight years into his career uh, clearly has not accomplished much, but they're, they're certainly happy with that guy. Again, we're, we're framing this in 2014, not in 2021. So uh, I, I think that feels realistic for the time frame. I mean, Brian, yeah, Br- Brian Drew is somebody that, that obviously we'll get into a lot, but I thought, I actually thought it was a good scene when like Brian Drew finds out that, they're going to draft a quarterback number one. And he's like, get me out of here, trade me. And, the, and Kevin Costner was like, it's my decision what to do with you. But like that, that the veteran quarterback who's busting his hump to get back would be mad about them drafting a rookie, right? Like feels real to me. And it was like, oh, his name's Brian Drew. It's like, just name him Brian Hoyer. Exactly. What are we doing? Just name him Brian Hoyer. Why, why are we playing with this? The other ones I had, we can, we can go through any that, that we kind of have left over here. The dad potentially dying coaching, which, which was in play until, uh, until he was fired. I think every coach's dream is to just die on the football field. And then the Browns fans pain after the pick. Those are the other two that I had. Did you guys have anything else? I had nothing else for realistic because <laughs> I, I got a ton of stuff for re- least realistic, though. I thought it was realistic when he pulls into the gas station and someone has written in their dirty back <laughs> windshield, fire sunny. And I was like, no, that feels, that feels real. Uh, just as an aside, I think that was the scene that, that Mary Kay told us she got cut from, Scott, when she was a walk-on. or whatever, That's whatever, right. Whatever. Yeah, she was time. supposed to keep walking into the gas station and 
Maybe I, she I, got I, to I, scribble uh, Fire Sunny on the back of that truck. Mary Kay was an extra, like walking into the gas station, and they didn't. Yeah, but she didn't put her in. She had a family, I guess, or a son character, and uh, had to keep doing it over and over and over. Oh my God. I mean, this is, I don't know where this fits in, but it was like when they're listening to the talk radio again, it's like, let's make a, what's, what's the movie about? It's mostly about a guy driving around listening to sports talk radio. I was like, man, if they did that today, Kevin Costner would be like, let's see what they're saying on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast about this move. I was like, oh, we just missed it. We just, seven years later and we'd be in the movie. Great lines on the sports talk. I've got, I've got some lines written down that we've got to get to at some point. And I've got one out of the uh, the sports talk section. All right, least, least realistic, Scott. You said you got a bunch. Have at it. Well, right off the bat, the fans cheering uh, the commissioner uh, as he walks out for the first pick of the draft. I thought that was – I can't remember when that tradition started, but I have to believe it was going on at that point. I, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, <laughs> the revelation. You just, you just the go revelation that came out of the Ohio State-Wisconsin game, that Bull Callahan is jumpy after sacks, that would have been dissected, talked about, and debated ad nauseum during the whole draft process, you know? Like, again, if this movie is for football fans, football fans understand that the draft isn't, like, draft day isn't you wake up that day and that's the first day you're thinking about college players and scouting, you know? That kind of thing, that sort of thing being this revelation moment in the in the movie that kind of, steers the plot in another direction i thought it was just it was kind of lazy who vante mack gave the ball to the fact that you know his sister and she died like that would have been everywhere like they would have made espn special one hours specials for something like that let's stop there because i think that's the entire maybe that's the biggest issue with this movie right of all the issues the overarching premise is your gm trades three first round picks for the number one overall pick for a quarterback he knows nothing about 12 hours before the draft. So there's so much there to unpack. That's like, I, none of that makes any sense. You would have scouted the quarterback. You would have, you wouldn't have made that trade unless you knew that was the guy you wanted. And we'll get into the draft strategy later. It, that that's the main, that's like the major flaw of all the flaws. Yes. But Justin Gilbert, Right. Like, yes, but it's like, well, who would do that? It's like, I don't know the time the Browns drafted a guy who like they had not done no work on who didn't like football and was the biggest bust in the top 10 in the past 50 years. Like, yes, but there is so there is a incompetence in this league right now. The thing that is, I think the hardest about it is that there are ways. And I mean, Sonny's a hero. So it's like, He's not a bumbling fool, but he does ridiculous things. Like he's like, but there are GMs who do terrible, crazy things that make no sense. And you end up drafting a guy, you know, nothing about. So I agree with you, Dan, that is the, that is the foundational part of this that cracks apart. That is like, if anybody did this, they'd get fired, but Justin Gilbert. So I'll say I'm fine with him making the trade on, you know, on the spur of the moment. I mean, you have to build the movie around something. And, and that's fine. But just the fact that nobody saw that again, this is Wisconsin. This isn't some guy from North Dakota who, who people really didn't see a lot or, or it's not 1978 where you don't have right. so much film on people. I think there was probably a level of, of intelligence from football fans that the movie just kind of tried to ignore there. Can, can I just say though, I was kind of impressed that Bo Callahan came back and made that throw to win the game. <laughs> 
that, I think that said something to me. That said something to me about Bo Callahan right there. I know Vontae Mack was out of the game, but for him to come back and make that throw and win the game, that was a good throw on the run. That was a dime, like in the back corner of the end zone in a tiny window. That was like that a Josh game was Allen probably on national TV. That was probably like game of the week. You probably had, I don't know who, who would have been the doing those. Maybe it was like Brad Nessler and Kirk Herbstreet or something on, on the call on that. I, that's, I was impressed. That would have won me over. Now, there is another foundational thing about that whole situation. There's two things. One that is the most egregious, which is the University of Wisconsin would never have a quarterback like that. Now, listen, they had Russell Wilson for one year because he transferred from North Carolina State. I have seen a litany of noodle arm Wisconsin quarterbacks in my life. I could name them all right now. None of them looked like Bo Callahan. I have covered Big Ten football for 16 years waiting for competent quarterback play from guys at any other school in Ohio State. So the idea that it's like, oh, where's the star quarterback from? Wisconsin? Are you kidding me? They just hand the ball to the tailback 30 times a game. Like that was like, I was out on that. Oh, he's a Wisconsin quarterback. You want to talk about like Scott Tolzien and Jack Cohn and, and Alex Hornibrook? Like I can run you down the list of non-Bo Callahan Wisconsin quarterbacks that I have witnessed. They, they should have flipped it. The quarterback should have been Ohio State and the linebacker. Yeah, Wisconsin. that's true. Yeah. And, and then the other thing obviously is Vontae Max, a middle linebacker, and like every play he makes is a sack off the edge. And, and by the way, nobody takes a middle linebacker, number one. If you just said Vontae Mack was an edge rusher, that part of the movie makes 100% more sense yeah. that you would take an edge rusher, number one. He doesn't play middle linebacker a single snap in the film. He's constantly just out over the tackle, just blitzing. And it's like, okay, do you know what a middle linebacker is? Because like I, he's like Devin White, like in description, and then he's like Chase Young in action. And so it's like, all right, make the movie about Chase Young. I don't know, but Chase Young's not a middle linebacker. So I thought that was, again, it's like, do you guys know what football is? Like nobody along the way was like, you know, that's not what middle linebackers do. It's like, yeah, but I don't know. It's like, just make him an edge rusher. So yeah. Who were the consultants on this movie? I, I think they really failed because you're right. When you see him running down the field with a ball, it's like, that dude's huge. You know, maybe his shoulder pads kind of, those are some big shoulder pads, but yeah, you're right. He's a, he, he's an outside linebacker in a four, three, and he's basically just rushing the passer. Can he cover anybody? Are you paying that dude? I mean, Jadavian Clowney was the number one pick that year, 22 million. Are, are you paying a, a middle linebacker who can't cover anybody that much money as a number one pick? No, probably not. The whole, the sister thing. So I know they established early in the movie that Vontae has these nephews he's got to take care of, but they don't say why. And then they just randomly throw in there while they're watching that tape. Oh, by the way, his sister died, which I think they do throughout this whole movie. Just these random, like really emotional facts about these players. It's like, oh, his dad baby. died last week. Oh, yeah, his sister died six months after this game. I don't know. I feel like maybe we could use one less like scene in the storage closet and maybe just one more scene of like, oh, here's an emotional Vontae Mack telling us about his sister. I mean, you got Chadwick Boseman, use him. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It's just that that would have been like a cover story in every major magazine. And yeah, everybody would have been all over that. There's, there's a, there must be 20 minutes of character development that's like on the cutting room floor. Cause yeah, I mean, like to have any kind of scene like with Sonny and his late dad or whatever, like again, nobody, they don't show anything. 
they just talk about it. And like you said, they show it with it's it's very odd that they have a shot to make some more uh, emotional connections to the characters that they just they just passed on. Well, it's clear they wanted to save money. We said right off the bat they they filmed this in Cleveland because it was cheaper. A couple of things I want to make sure I mention. And this is really early in the film when the Seattle GM is talking to Sonny probably for the first time and trying to convince him to take that trade. And he says he should consider it because your farm sucks. And I rewound that like five times to make sure I heard that right. He said, your farm sucks. And I wasn't convinced at that point. So I went and I looked it up. I found like the dialogue on, on, online on some website. And yes, he in fact says, your farm sucks. At that point, I was ready to clock out of this movie because I'm like, whoever wrote this does not know football. Whoever consulted on it does not know football. What is he talking about? The practice squad? This is 2014. You do not develop future quarterbacks or future players from your practice squad to become stars on your team. That's not how football works. I could not believe that that was a line in this movie. I actually wrote that line down. I also, in unrealistic stuff, the idea that Adam Schefter is calling like the intern, like general phone number desk. And like, hi, could I please speak to your GM on draft day? It's like, Adam Schefter has the cell phone number of 4,000 people in the NFL. He's not calling the intern to talk to the GM on draft day. Ah, uh, yes, I have the uh, NFL's greatest newsbreaker, Sonny. Do you have a moment? It's like, okay, that's not how this works either. Well, and also just going back, let's, the owner finding out from Adam Schefter that his team has traded three first round picks for the number one overall pick. That's, uh, that's on the list. The whole, the whole idea that Seattle is the team they're trading with for the number one pick apparently was supposed to be the jets, but they backed out. So I don't know how that that's, this is just, you know, really, this is research that came off of watching this on Amazon prime and they have little like nuggets as you're kind of watching so I don't know if the teams had to like sign off on being used, even though they had a bunch of NFL footage they could use, but apparently this was supposed to be the jets. If Seattle wants Bo Callahan that much, why are they trading the number one pick? That whole thing at the end, again, as much as you're, I do think for a lot of it, I thought early on, it's like this movie doesn't make any football sense. And then like in the middle, they start to get you a little bit. And then, because I thought it's like, hey, and then they draft Vontae Mack, the end. And then it's like, no, let's go deeper into what happened in the first round. And then all that stuff was just like, okay, now it doesn't make any sense again. So yeah, that idea of, of I don't know what Seattle's supposed to think that they just, and then they're like, they were like so happy that they saved $7 million in cap space by drafting <laughs> him six spots later. When meanwhile, the Browns GM doesn't even know what the salary cap is. And Seattle is passing on a franchise quarterback to save $7 million in cap space. Like it is, it is nonsensical fantasy world mumbo jumbo. I feel like if they made this movie today, Seattle would have been the team that was analytically driven trying to rebuild. And it would have been easier to swallow why they would trade it. You know, it would basically be the Browns of 2016. Like you could make this movie today and have it built around that premise. All right. That's why they got rid of that. I mean, it would be more money ballish, but I think, that makes the movie make a little more sense because you're right. It is kind of like they really just do kind of like speed right through why the Seahawks want to get, want to get rid of uh, the number one pick. But one more thing I want to make sure I mentioned in, in least realistic, and this is the most least realistic. Mm. We, we mentioned ESPN 850. Uh, it was Rizzo and, and Hammer, Aaron Goldhammer, Tony Rizzo with their cameos in the movie. At the very beginning of the movie, they're set. They're like scene setting, right? They're team how bad it is or talking about 
how Sonny's kind of on the hot seat. And I think they basically said, if you don't get this right, you're gone, right? They, they basically let the audience know that this is a huge deal for Sonny Weaver. By the end of the movie, I think it was Goldhammer's line. He says, well, if he thinks Bo Callahan's a bust, who am I to argue? I thought that was like the most ridiculous thing ever. Just the whole going from that morning from this, this dude's going to get fired unless he does something right to, well, I mean, you know, yeah, we had Bo Callahan sitting there right in our lap at number six, but we decided not to take him. And, and we're good with that because he's good with that. There's no way like the, the, the phone lines and sports talk radio would have been blowing up. Everybody would basically hate Sonny Weaver after that first round. Right, we can get into, we'll get into this more after we, you know, when we talk about the actual trade, but there is no way that would have been the reaction to what happened in that first round. No way at all. Uh, one of the lines I wrote down from the sports talk, you're almost glad coach Weaver isn't around to watch his son run this team into the ground. That's a, that's a cold, cold blooded line there. I don't know if we're getting into like the most ruthless, the most ruthless lines in this movie. We already talked about cold-blooded. There is cold-blooded stuff. People are just jackholes. Oh. The stuff <laughs> they say when they're like, oh, that's his, that's Vontae Mack's sister and she died. And Dennis Leary says, boo freaking who? She died. <laughs> All she right. died. He says, boo freaking who? Let's just go down this road. I don't know if you had any least realistic to add, but if you didn't, let's just get into our, our best and worst performances here. Because okay. you just mentioned one. Dennis Leary was great. Dennis Leary struck me as just an old school football coach. Not perfect, but when he's telling the story about the running back in the draft room, when Kevin cut, when Sonny Weaver is still driving into work and everybody else in the building is already there, that felt like a, just a football coach telling a story somewhere. I, th I thought Dennis Leary was, was really good as coach Penn. I think they could have made Leary the GM and gone more of a comedy route with this, and it would have been a better movie. I think they could have gotten away with that with him in that role, as opposed to Kevin Costner, who's got to be, you know, at those moments where he's just staring off silently, you know, into the night. That's how he acts. But I think Dennis Leary is the GM. I think it would have been a more fun movie. That's interesting. I mean, Kevin Costner is so established in sports movies, and, and he's often... Like, I mean, he's Kevin Costner a lot of times in sports movies. And I think there's some stuff at the end that like, it, it, I mean, it, it ends like a Kevin Costner sports movie often ends. I actually like, I don't know. I, I don't think I would want Dennis Leary to carry this movie because I think it would feel even more unrealistic. Like, unless you're going a major league thing and you're literally making a comedy and it's like, oh, what do do? guess I'll trade three first round picks, you know, but like the idea that Kevin, I almost think they could have gone. It wasn't funny. There's like practically no jokes in this movie. And I do think they could have done a better job lightening the mood with the people around him. I almost think they could have had it be heavier for Kevin Costner that maybe he was even, you you went a little more about like carrying his father's legacy. He has the speech at the end about like, oh, I just wanted to get my dad a ring. And like the reveal of like my mom said to fire him and whatever. And I felt like you could have gone even a little more serious and give you that earlier to talk about like the burden that he's feeling because I know these guys feel burdens, right? And you feel a burden in a city like Cleveland because you want to do it for fans who haven't had it happen in forever. So I, I would not want much more Dennis Leary than we got. And I, and I kind of liked Costner in it. And I will say there are, I couldn't believe how many like famous actors are in this movie in 
super tiny parts, but yet I, f- I feel like a lot of people were wasted, right? Like, I feel like there was so much like back and forth and zigging and zagging a different stuff. I thought the best performance was the owner, Frank Langella, who is just like a great, like serious actor who's, who often he, again, he sort of plays that has like a lot of gravitas to that a lot. I thought he was like an egomaniac who was putting pressure on Kevin Costner and was like, I'm flying to the draft. I'm going to give him the Jersey. Now I'm pissed. Oh, now I'm okay. I thought actually he was pretty good in sort of tying that together as like a realistic uh, NFL owner. And I thought, I thought Chadwick was really good. I wish he had more to do. Right. Like I do. He's a charismatic, like screen presence. And I liked young Ray Jennings. I liked the Ray Jennings family, which again was like, in the end wound up being like a really important plot that it's like, Hey, you got a legacy guy that helped like everybody like what Kevin Costner did, but you didn't get much character development of other than like, Hey, his dad played for the Browns. Now he's going to play for the Browns, but I like that young actor. And then Terry Crews as the dad, it's like, I wanted to see more Terry Crews and they didn't do anything with him. So I was just amazed at how many like famous people were in here, but I really liked the owner. Arian you realize Foster. who played Ray Jennings? Yeah. That was, was that was Arian Foster. Yeah, I saw Arian Foster in the credits and I was like, I wonder who he was. I didn't realize that was him. Oh, he did a good job. I've got some Arian Foster stuff. But Scott, who, who did you have for best performance? Best acting performance is when I mentioned like Chadwick Boseman when he gets picked number one. I thought that was a great scene. But just best performance overall, Rick the Intern was it for me. I think he crushed every scene he was in. He was like the only intentionally funny thing in the movie. There was a lot of unintentionally funny things, but uh, I thought Rick the intern was really good. I don't know what else he's done in his career, but I, I thought he was great. Just the whole, you know, Adam Schefter on the phone and his fumbling when he opens up the closet, which is nothing like the closet we used to go in for our uh, for our podcast uh, in Berea. Similar, there was a lot of media guides in there too, but I really liked Rick the intern. Uh, I thought it was hilarious when he was upset when it turned out it was his laptop that got smashed. That that was great. He, he's clearly the winner for me. Yeah, I've got, I've got him on there. All right, worst performances. Who do you guys have? So I don't know that I like really thought anybody had a terrible performance individually. I actually did not love Leary. I, lo- I also liked the security guy. I thought the security guy who's doing the detective work was pretty good. He All seemed right. like, a, like a realistic security guy. Uh, I did like the mom. I mean, Ellen Burstyn's like a super famous actress, but like that part, that like her husband was in football his whole life. And then like, she was like, we're sprinkling his ashes on draft day. And her son was like, but not today. And she's like, an hour before, an An hour hour before. It's so unrealistic of like, why are you being like this? Did you, did you cremate him on draft day? Like you can't wait a day. Like, why is this happening today? I couldn't, that mom character was so, like she's she's been in football her whole life and yet she has no sense of like hey my job is important i've got to do this so i thought that was odd and then again on those family things rosanna arquette is in the movie for 14 seconds to be like i'm your ex-wife and she walks on the field and that's it there has to be 15 minutes of rosanna arquette divorce stuff on the cutting room floor and then also and and this is like Sean Combs, P. Diddy's in the movie to basically hand the phone to Bo Callahan three times. It's like, what do you do in this? Uh, yeah, well, I here's Diddy. Pick up the phone, say, hold on one second and hand it to Bo. And that's your that's your character. I was like, why did he do that? Like, he's he's too famous to be doing this. They just had famous people doing nothing. 
in the movie. And so I, I, it wasn't a bad performance by him, but like he just didn't have anything to do. That's how this movie got made. It was getting all these known actors to come in play parts and that's how you sell it to a studio. My worst, I, I, I got one that I got an honorable mention. My honorable mention is the Jaguars GM. Oh my God. Oh yeah. That, that kid GM, like Sonny Weaver not knowing who the Jaguars GM is, I thought was kind of ridiculous. But really, the worst performance to me is the writer. And it's because it's just such bad writing in this movie. And a good way to explain that, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of dumb conversation and dumb things said in this movie just to give the audience information. The conversation right, right. in the beginning of the movie between Seattle's owner and GM, where they're, they're talking about the trade, which I believe was the Washington trade, and the owner not really understanding, like he needed to be told or reminded, like, what was given up in one of the biggest trades in recent memory. That was ridiculous. The conversation the Ray Jennings had on the phone with Sonny Weaver, where they're going over the fight he apparently had, like that's not happening on draft day, but they had to tell people that with this dumb conversation that would never happen. Uh, Sonny, like I said, asking the GM who the GM was, the strength coach. Remember when Sonny walks into the, into the uh, weight room and the strength coach is there <laughs> and he tells Sonny, your star wide receiver, Andre Bello, has been telling yeah. me. <laughs> like, who's, that's not how humans speak. Like, there's, but, uh, who wrote this? It's just stuff like that all movie. There's other ways to get information to the audience. And that was just, I kept watching this movie and seeing those things. Like, they think we're idiots. Like, they can't, they can't just write dialogue the way people really talk and, and we'll get it. But yeah, the worst performance for me was the writer. All right, let, let's get into some characters because I, so I didn't bring this up under best performance, but I think it deserves, it might be the best performance of the movie. The character, the, the writing of the character, all of that stuff, put that aside. The best performance of the movie and the character that might've held it all together might've been Allie. Oh, Scott just put his head down. I think Scott disagrees with that. I think the character wasn't great. I thought Jennifer Garner did a good job though. I don't know much about Jennifer Garner. I wasn't, what was that show she was in? Oh, I, I know a lot about Jennifer Garner. If we want to do a Jennifer Garner corner here, we can do that. Is she alias? She yes. was alias. That's oh my God. I was all over alias. <laughs> I, right. it, would, it would have been a better movie if she had been a spy. So and, it was like, and it was like, hey, our salary cap expert. And she's like, I'm not really a salary cap expert. I'm a spy. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. Here's what I've got. First of all, she's pregnant, right? And her boyfriend doesn't even want to talk to her about it. So she's doing all of this while she's like, apparently they just found out something like that. She yells at the scout when he's, yes. uh, when he's talking mean to the intern that, that you love so much, Scott. She literally puts a fire out in Sonny's office. Dennis Leary walks in, sets something on fire, and she walks in with a fire extinguisher and puts it out. That's called symbolism, in, in case you need to know. When Sonny's thinking about that Buffalo trade, which he probably should have made, she looks at him and says, why are you bugging me if you already know? Allie holds it all together. This mess of a movie, Allie holds it all together. I got Jennifer Garner. Scott, counterpoint. All right. I, I do agree that Sonny Weaver needed some sort of sounding board in this movie, somebody to talk things out with as a character. But there's really no reason for Jennifer Garner to be in this movie, other than the fact that this movie is full of famous people. Uh, in just about every role. The whole relationship between Sonny Weaver and Allie is just pointless. Like there was no, it was not necessary. I think the idea of a, of a GM being on the hot seat 
and making decisions that aren't popular on draft day. That's enough for this movie. You didn't even need his dad dying. Like just sticking her in there. You have to have some sort of relationship It's a Kevin Costner movie. Who's the female lead. That's just, it's so cliche and pointless. Like there was no point to her in that role. It, it could have been anybody. It could have been, you know, his assistant GM. It could have been literally anybody, but they decided to make this some sort of romantic thing that was just, unnecessary cut her out of the movie you don't miss anything i think that's a little far. i mean you have to have some emotional stuff here i do think it was like his dad died and his girlfriend's pregnant and that's like a both happening things maybe is a little bit much i do think the idea of like it's a woman in an nfl front office is interesting but i wish they would have developed that more she had like one sentence where she said I grew up in Cleveland and like I was a little girl. I love football just as much as you do. I would have liked to know more about that, right? The other thing that I didn't, I didn't love about it is she's in real life, Jennifer Garner is 17 years younger than Kevin Costner, yeah. but we do that in every TV show and every movie. It's like, what do we have here? It's like, I don't know, Kevin Costner is practically a grandpa. Let's have him, let's have him get like the super confident, attractive woman in the office is in love with him. It's like, of course she is. But she is like, she actually... Is she not Sashi? That like if 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 Kevin Costner is like Ray Farmer, like she's the salary cap expert who's just like super competent. And like in three years when Kevin Costner gets fired, like they're gonna make her the GM. Is that not what's percolating no, under this? Because she would have told him, no way in heck should you draft a linebacker and a running back both in the top 10 in the same draft. Again, that was very unrealistic. The salary cap expert, the positional value of what they're taking, they're taking a linebacker and a running back in the top seven. They, she would not have let that happen. No. Okay, let, let's uh, let's get into these draft prospects while we're going through characters. So let's start with Bo Callahan. Puff Daddy, as you mentioned, is his agent, Doug. This guy, his name's I think it's Aswan Harris. He plays an intern. He's from Cleveland, Ohio. I guess he's a stuntman, uh, but he gets a line in this and he says, uh, quote, he has a weakness for banging hot chicks. That's our, our Cleveland natives line. But Marks, who is uh, we, who we all know from Veep, says he's still the best prospect we've ever seen. None of his teammates went to his birthday party. He lied about reading the playbook. Our thoughts on Bo Callahan. So I thought, there, I know people have made, I mean, like having not watched this movie, I knew the whole, his teammates didn't go to his birthday party thing, right? Cause that's a famous thing. This reminded me a little bit, and I'm sure I do feel a bit weird. I, I, people have had the conversation we're having, people have had like for the last seven years. It's just that <laughs> Dan, you and I have never watched it. So we're late to the party here. Right. It feels a lot like Connor Cook that like Connor Cook, who is a, a Cleveland area guy goes to Michigan state is not voted a captain his senior year, has a thing where he like kind of awkwardly grabs the Big Ten championship trophy, MVP trophy from Archie Griffin on the podium after the 2013 Big Ten title game when Michigan State beats Ohio State. He's a quarterback prospect, but people, and then it's like, was a big thing about why wasn't he a captain at Michigan State if he's the quarterback leader? And people were like, eh, I don't know. It's nothing. It's fine or whatever. And then people thought at some point he might be a first round guy. He felt like the fourth round and like he's never played in the NFL. So like this, that, that like character, like what's really up with this quarterback? Why can't he relate to his teammates? I think you could look at that and think that's unrealistic. You're not going to not draft the guy because someone doesn't go to his birthday party. But actually, I think there's actually a, kind of a lot to that. I think there is like how you relate to people, especially when you're a quarterback matters. So I like the idea that like, they didn't make him a bad guy. Like he's not a terrible person. Bo Callahan, he's just kind of like a, he's just kind of like a ding-a-ling. 
he like guy he just like you know cuts corners and like maybe doesn't work as hard as he should so like i actually really liked that character and i i almost i like it makes me want to know like did he make it did is he like a pro bowl player with seattle is he an average starting quarterback did he get one year and stink and that was it? Like, I wonder how he did, because I thought the way they presented the character concerns without making him a bad guy, I actually thought was pretty interesting. I'm glad you said that because I thought at the end of the movie, instead of just getting pictures of random NFL teams and players, we needed like slides of like, like Monte Mack went on to make four Pro Bowls and fled the Browns to the Super Bowl yeah. and whatever, 2018. You know, Bo Callahan broke his leg and never played whatever. I felt like we needed some sort of closure on, on what happened with these guys. I think they should have made his character maybe a little more Johnny Manzellish because I think then it would have been more easily understood what the stakes were there, I guess, because like I said before, it just everybody not realizing that he's jumpy, like that not being some huge part of his scouting report coming into the draft like John Grude was in this movie, but I think by then he was doing his quarterback thing on ESPN where he has all the top prospects in and he's grilling them on the whiteboard and like things would have been known about him. So I think maybe they could have changed that character a little bit, but I think you're right. He, he wasn't really a, a horrible person, I guess, or he was clearly a good quarterback who had success. It didn't really seem like there were a lot of, I think they even alluded to the fact that he was really the only legitimate quarterback prospect, at least first round in this draft. So I can see why, I mean, guys like that get pushed up the draft board. If you need a quarterback, he's the guy who's there. So he's the guy who's going to get drafted. But I do think they oversold the fact that he's like the best prospect in forever because that, that was just way, way too unrealistic based on what we learned about him. Yeah. It's, it's partially realistic, but partially unrealistic that when the Browns passed on him, everybody like the whole NFL world panicked and everybody else started passing on him. Like on one, on the one hand, it's like, Oh, that wouldn't happen. Like if John Dorsey had not taken Baker Mayfield number one and somebody else out there loved Baker, they would have gone and gotten him. They established that the Browns are a bad team, but the bad team passes on the good quarterback. I don't think the rest of the NFL is panicking, but I do think the NFL is very reactionary. So there are a lot of reactionary GMs out there. I think Uh, it's changing a little bit, but I, you know, so that that was sort of on both. Okay. Vontae Mack. Looking at the whiteboard, and yes, I looked at the whiteboards in, in those rooms. 6'2", 225, a 45540. Here's an interesting nugget. Jeremiah Wusu koromoa six foot one, two twenty-one. Did not run the 40 though. So I don't know if Vonte is like uh, you know, now the Browns sort of have their own Vonte Mac. Uh, his pros, speed, three down ability, and a local product. Even though is that just because he went to Ohio State? Because he's from Virginia, isn't he? Oh yeah. But I mean, again, as much, as many words as we have all typed about why don't the Browns draft more Ohio state guys, that was very realistic. Uh, Cons, his size and his take on. So he's got that. He tweeted the Browns were dumb. Kevin Costner's best advice in this movie was telling him to delete Twitter. He has to take care of his nephews because as we established his sister died and he has the best phone case in the entire movie. What's his phone case? I missed that detail. It's the, it's the like the knuckles. It's the knuckles, the brass knuckles phone. Oh, case. nice. I don't think I could pull that off, but I'm, I might try. <laughs> Vontae Max, a good prospect, just not at one, right? I mean, he is he's Devin White to me, right? And if the Bucks, like the Bucks, took Devin White at five, I think, and he like was a cornerstone to their defense as they won the Super Bowl as a young linebacker. So I do think that I mean we've seen young middle linebackers like kind of pull teams together, just not at one. 
just not at one. And by the way, he doesn't play middle linebacker in the in the film. I liked him. And I, and again, I think they could have even leaned into like more personal stuff with him to, to establish him a little bit more. Cause he is as Scott, as you guys sort of said, everything in the movie builds up to the Browns picking him and it does pay off. It does. It, 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 I got chills when they picked Vontae Mack, but I think they could have even leaned into that more. I, the thing to me that happens in this movie is that it reinforces it, that sports itself is so emotional and dynamic and you get so connected to it. It's not that the movie pulls emotions out of you. It's just that sports pulls emotions out of you. And this is a sports movie. So they're going to hit on a couple sports things. But the movie doesn't do a great job. It's just like, man, Vontae Mack, he's overcome all this stuff. He seems like a great guy. He is hearts in the right place. And he goes number one. Wow. Like you feel for that guy, but I think they could have even done a better job with it. But he's a good, like he's legitimately a good player. Yeah, I do think they could have like had more, more of him in it, kind of building that up because you're right. Everything does build to that moment. One thing that really stood out to me about, about Vontae Mack is he's really concerned about going seven. And he's concerned about that because of the money he would get at seven. And he doesn't want to go in the late teens or in 20 because that's not enough money for him. Well, the seventh pick that year made like he signed a $14 million deal. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. The 20th pick was about half that. But still, I think that whole scenario, like I got to go seventh because I need that money versus – 20th that just that to me was not very realistic I don't think that his life situation was in like you eight million dollars is still eight million dollars over four years and you're getting the fifth year option and I, I just thought that was a weird thing to there was other ways to explain that he was in this situation where he had to support people other than saying making it sound like well, if I go seventh I'm set for life if I go 20th well I might have to get a part-time job that's the way it really came <laughs> off well, and the, the Texans were hoping he'd be there at 15. Again, this whole draft process. Well, we'll get into the process here. Ray Jennings, 5'10", 220, ran a 4'3", put a dude in the hospital. His dad is Terry Crews. Uh, his dad played for Cleveland, Earl Jennings. On the whiteboard, his pros are size, big play, slash home run ability, and his pedigree, his cons, durability, pass pro, and character off-field issues. We mentioned this played by Arian Foster. Foster ran a 4.6940, went undrafted. But after this movie came out, had his last really good season, rushed for 1,246 yards in 2014, eight touchdowns, and caught five touchdown passes. So this movie was good for Arian Foster all around. Ray Jennings, character issues. But uh, other than that, a complete stud. So he's 5'10", but one of his pros is size? Well, he's 220. 220. Okay. So it's like a bowling ball kind of, I mean, it's one of those things. You're not, I mean, you can't take a running back at seven unless he's Adrian Peterson. And I don't think he's Adrian Peterson. So, but he's Nick Chubb, right? He's like a kind of a, of a, a soft spoken, like kind of like guy that you can root for. I thought his explanation for the fight was reasonable. It's like, I'm with my friends. These guys came up to us. What are we supposed to do? I thought that was reasonable. I like the character. I kind of, I just don't like taking a, <laughs> this is why I don't want to watch this movie. It's like, what'd you think of the movie? It's like, they took a running back at seven. I couldn't get into it. Like, I just like, that's, but when you're a sports writer, like, that's how you think. It's like, I mean, another thing, other than positional value, I guess their draft was okay. But like, but I like that. And I did like, I mean, and again, that stuff, 
the idea that the owner wants to splash, you think that's going to be Bo Callahan, but then it winds up being like, well, at least you drafted the son of a Brown, a great Brown. That's enough of a splash to make the owner happy. It makes the coach happy. It gets the picks back. I do think that kind of got tied up pretty decently. I don't know what kind of uh, offense Coach Penn's going to run, but I'm assuming Arian Foster would handle it. I mean, he, he won me some fantasy titles back in the day, so he had some really good seasons uh, with the Texans. Uh, so, as, uh, you know, if he's Ray Jennings is anything like that, uh, then, yeah, he's going to do well with the Browns. Brian Drew, real quick, 5-1 and one until he went down that season. So the Browns were, were playing well. The owner believes he went down because he's weak in the knees. <laughs> One of my absolute favorite lines from the entire movie is they're sitting at the water park is the owner telling Sonny Weaver that his quarterback is weak in the knees, but that can't be possible because according to the strength coach, he squatted 400 pounds and he benched 250 25 times to put that in context. The record I could find was a guy named Jason Boltis from Hartwick college who put up 26 reps at the 2009 combine. Brady Quinn did 24 reps. Jay Cutler did 23. Rep Bomar did 25. So 20, what, what was it? 25 reps at 250. That's big time for a quarterback. And out of nowhere, he's apparently added 15 yards to his deep ball in the offseason. So like, possible? like, what was he doing before? Like, so did, was he throw like, could he only throw it 40 yards before and now he can throw it 55 <laughs> or could he throw it 70 and now he can throw it 85? I don't know. It does feel like there's some Brady Quinn in here, right? Like the idea of like the quarterback falling, and I know Brady wasn't the first quarterback taken, but when Jamarcus Russell went in that draft and then people thought the Browns might take Brady Quinn at three, right? And then he fall, they take Joe Thomas and he falls all the way into the twenties, right? That's that draft. That's like a, he's like, he's, he's kind of like Bo Callahan a little bit. And that he's a quarterback who kind of falls that the Browns are dancing around with. But then also he's kind of like Brian Drew, because then once he's in the league, it's like Brady Quinn was ripped. And like, this is like a ripped quarterback now. I wound up liking Brian Drew. And again, but I was conflicted here. It's like, I like the character, but then also it's like that you don't win in the league by settling for like your mediocre veteran quarterback and passing on, like, you've got to get a franchise quarterback. Is Brian Drew a franchise quarterback? Do we think he is, or is he just like a middle of the road veteran that maybe you can win with? Like you said, he's Brian Hoyer. He's, they were five and one. I think they were seven and two with Hoyer when he went down, something like that. I don't know. Or no, no, no. They were, they were, they were seven and four. Yeah. And the year before they were, I think they had five wins, but yeah, it's, I think he's more of a, of a middle of the road guy that you can win with who experience kind of puts him to a different level as he gets longer in his career. You know, I don't, I don't see him as, as a franchise guy though. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the key point. He mailed back the hundred dollars. I said I got chills three times in this movie. I got chills when they drafted Vontae Mack. I got chills when they drafted Ray Jennings and they call the dad and the dad hands the phone to the son and it's like, Dad, I'm gonna be a brown. And I got chills for the hundred dollar bill story when they were like, one person sent it back. Cause I thought they're gonna say, and the guy who sent the money back was Vontae Mack. Yes. That would have been the wrong thing. Like as cheesy as it was to have Brian Drew do it, it would have been really awful if it would have been like, well, the guy who did it, Sonny was Vontae Mack. And then it was Brian Drew kind of blindsided me a little bit, but then I was like, oh man, I might be in on Brian Drew now. So, (laughs) so I like, but I thought I, again, that's like a very realistic character. The veteran who's, who's busting his butt to keep his body together and is trying to hold on to his job and feels like he's doing everything right, but he's about to get passed. 
by this by this rookie. That is very realistic to me. I thought that scene was good. And then he had like nothing else to do in the movie. And then it was like he just was sitting in his house with his wife and his daughter waiting to see if they picked Bo Callahan or not. And I was like, man, I kind of want to see a little more of Brian Drew. Is, uh, is Sonny Weaver like the most forgiving GM ever? Like Brian Drew goes in and, and just trashes his office. He's got his coach <laughs> burning his contract or whatever in, in his office. It's just, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just yeah, surprised everybody kept their jobs after this game or after this I- High character guy Brian Drew trashing the GM's office. That's a little bit. That's that's a little iffy. But I, when he, when when Kevin Costner asked Bo Callahan how important is winning to you, and Bo Callahan was kind of like, oh yeah, it's important. I I didn't know like to me it was like Brian Drew's like how important is it to Brian Drew? It's like I don't know. He ripped my office apart. Like I almost didn't know if like Kevin Costner was like you know what Brian Drew really wants this, and I'm not sure if Bo Callahan does. I don't know if he almost respected a guy who tore his office apart. If you know what I mean, we got to talk process here. We got to get into these trades. Oh, so the movie, the movie starts trades, three first round picks for number one takes Vontae Mack, who was projected to go in the mid teens. Then he trades three second round picks for number six turns around and trades number six to Seattle for his original three first round picks and punt returner, David Putney and then selects a running back at number seven. He turned down a trade that would have netted him Maurice Castillo, a running back who I guess is good. I don't know. Dennis Leary likes him. Antonio Taylor, who we don't know who he is, first rounders next year and the year after, but apparently not this year's first from Buffalo, but he turns that trade down. So the process, what did we think of it? There's no way to defend this, right? This was all results, no, no process in place. So I actually like right from the start when they're talking about the trade, when Seattle calls and proposes the trade. And I also don't like the way they phrase it because I was confused by it a little bit. Because when you say that you're trading three firsts, well, one of the firsts is moving down in the draft for the one already. It's not three right. in additional. It's like, hey, we're going to give you seven for one and two more firsts. But when they first offer the trade, it's like, We'll give you one for seven, and we want another first and a third. And Kevin Costner is like, ouch. It's like, what are you talking about? That is like uh, not enough. That is completely underselling. You're, you're moving up to the number one pick, and all it's costing you is a future first and a future third? That's awesome. And then it's like, we must get another first. It's like, okay, well, that's still a pretty reasonable trade to move up to the number one pick for a franchise quarterback. So like a lot of the language around the trades and stuff like never makes sense. And then in the end, if they would have made the Buffalo trade, they would have wound up trading basically seven for two players for the two players you mentioned, because they gave up two future ones. They would have gotten two future ones and they probably should have done that because that was a running back. And Dennis Leary wanted a running back. It was just, the, what they thought was a good trade and a bad trade and everything was so off. And then I will say when it was like, let's trade six for three future second rounders, which is like, yeah. I've never heard of that pick of that kind of trade in my life. It sounds crazy to me, but I went and glanced at the trade value chart. I actually think it kind of lines up. Like I would have thought three future seconds is not enough for number six. But I actually think by the trade value chart, it's in range. I just never have heard anybody doing that. Yeah, and with that one too, it's like, well, do you mean the second rounder this year and then two more or future? Just yeah, you're right the way they phrase it. I think, well, first off, it's comical that the Seahawks woke up on on draft day and 
had to call people to try and trade the number one pick. Like people would have been calling them left and right if Bo Callahan was the kind of prospect everybody said he was. Got to be a lot of teams in that league who need a quarterback. But if I'm getting that call, hey, we're the Seahawks. We got the first pick. If you give us two first rounders and a third, and assuming one of those is a swap this year, to move up to number one, I'm hell yeah, I'm taking that. Because even if I don't want Bo Callahan, I got the whole rest of the day for people to call me and give me something for Bo Callahan or the number one pick, you know? Then I use that to, to kind of flip things and I trade down and go from there. But yeah, I was just they, they saying ouch after that. I don't think that was the right response. No. This movie does lack a lot of self-awareness, but I do want to give them credit because they actually have Sonny Weaver say how stupid it was to trade up for number one for a guy he could have gotten at seven. So I'll give them credit for that. The question I have here, because, I, you know, we can talk positional value and all that, but how good does David Putney have to be for him to basically come out of this as like, well, the Browns added three foundational pieces, Vontae Mack, Ray Jennings and punt returner, David Putney, who was like almost the deal breaker in getting those three first round picks back. How good is David Putney? Is he like Josh Cribbs and Devin Hester rolled into one? I mean, he better be Devin Hester. That's all (laughs) I thought. But also if he's Devin Hester, you can't be throwing him into a trade. So none of it makes sense. If he's good enough for the Browns to ask for him, the Seahawks can't give him up as a throw in, but I'm assuming he's Jojo Natson, which by the way, would be a better name than david putney we need jojo nats and it's like that's not a real name it's like no it is actually <laughs> yeah there's no punt returner i think that that is the crux of a deal like that it, it just doesn't yelling out special teams we need special teams and then kevin coster in that moment is like yeah uh who's on our team and who's on their team who are our players i don't remember it's like what are you doing what else do we need what do you mean well there no by the way where are the coordinators of course, the offensive and defensive coordinators, they're, they're just MIA on draft day. Maybe Coach Penn does it all himself. He's old school. Hey. Calls both sides of the ball. Do we do we think Coach Penn is an offensive or a defensive coach? Well, offense. Yeah. When you say he, okay. he doesn't want – he talks a lot about having to teach a rookie quarterback and uh, how Jennings can run his offense. And, yeah, he, he really wanted the running back. So I think he's offensive. He's Go Barry ahead. Switzer, right? Like, that's who I keep thinking, that he took over yeah, an yeah. established team and then kind of ran him into the ground, and now they're getting him on the rebound, and it's like, how good is he really? That's who I kept thinking of. He loves showing off. That's one of the notes I have, is he loves showing off that Super Bowl ring. Yeah. By the way, Scott, you mentioned the Jaguars GM. Jeff Carson is his name, I guess. Completely panicked. Like you said, my favorite line of him, when the trades are first kind of proposed to him in a panic, he says sarcastically to Sonny, oh, that sounds awesome, Sonny. What am I, a jerk? I don't know what that means, but I, I like the line. But, but I thought, so this, what is this movie rated, by the way? Is it PG-13? Yeah. Uh, so this movie danced around that it's like, yeah, in that moment, he says, what am I, a jerk? When it's like, is that the dubbed TV version of the line there? <laughs> but then they save up for the very end for Sonny to drop the you pancake eating mf on the other guy. It's like they saved up for 85 minutes so they could use the F word at the end. Doug, what's your column headline the day after this draft when the Browns net themselves a running back, a linebacker, and a punt returner? Fire Sonny Weaver. 
I mean, like <laughs> uh, something like what you end up writing a lot, which is like Brown's stupid moves might work out okay kind of thing of like it's it's just the ridiculous maneuvering is uh it, it just and again it's one of those things like and i think a lot of the things that like we'd like again to watch it through the lens of a currently competent browns front office is like i think people believe in andrew barry because regardless of what the results are you believe in how he goes about his business and i think scott as you said this is all about results there's no process here at all None of this makes any sense. I guess maybe it worked out, kind of, but it would give you no faith in Sonny Weaver to ever do anything again because he's pulling stuff out of his butt the whole game or the whole movie. The owner wants him to make a splash, so he trades up, and the owner assumes he's getting Bo Callahan. He has the jersey made. He's flying to the draft. He's shaking hands. Like, everybody knows the Browns seem to be targeting Bo Callahan. The owner's got his jersey there, you know, and I mean, that would get out. People would be reporting that and talking about that as a draft. So when they take Vontae Mack at number one, the owner's not happy. He flies back to Cleveland. He says, quote, you're a dead man, Sonny Weaver, right? And he's a dead man because he took Vontae Mack at number one, but not just that, he embarrassed the owner, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's a big deal right there. And so the owner sits there in the draft room while Sonny makes this other deal. He trades away three years of number two picks for that number six pick. And he ends up getting a running back. Then he gets his number ones back, but still you're without uh, second round picks, at least for the next two years. And you got a running back. So suddenly adding that running back that makes the owner happy. I, right. I, I really found that hard to believe that he went from you're a dead man after picking Vontae Mack to, okay, everything's cool. We got Vontae Mack and, and, and this running back. And I guess he wanted a splash, but there's still the, the, the part of this of you made me look like an idiot in front of other owners, in front of the commissioner, in front of, you know, everybody watching on TV, everybody paying attention to the draft. I, I just, to me, that was a little unrealistic. And then again, the, the way the everybody reacted on the radio, I think, those two things together that the, the aftermath of this, I think was just totally unrealistic. I don't think people are walking away from this night thinking Sonny Weaver did a good job. I think they're thinking he was drowning and panicked and he got a couple players that are not going to be seen as a, as good of a deal as getting Paul Callahan at number six. Okay, Scott, I know you had a pressing question for us. I want to run through a couple things here. Uh, some good cameos in this, not like the big cameos, but some good, um, some good kind of under the radars. I mentioned Terry Crews, a couple of Veep. If, if you're fans of Veep, we saw Jonah Ryan was in this movie. Also, Kevin Dunn was a, a pretty significant guy in Veep. Sam Elliott as the Wisconsin head coach. I thought that was excellent. He was in the movie. He was on the phone in the movie for 20 seconds. He's Sam Elliott. <laughs> Why did he do that? Great casting, though. Great casting. No, I get no. No, you're right. And, and the Veep, for people who watched Veep, I just kept waiting for the two Veep guys to just say vulgar things the whole time. And the fact that they weren't <laughs> threw me off. Christopher Cousins is the Bills GM. If you don't know who that is, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, that is Ted Beneke from Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe Banner in the suite. Now, I was trying to figure this out. He was fired in February 2014 before the movie came out. He was supposed to stay on until May, but left in March. The movie began filming in May of 2013. So 
I'm guessing Joe Banner's cameo was filmed while he was still a member of the Browns organization. Joe Banner and Jennifer Garner both attended Denison University. Hmm. There's a connection there. And then one other cameo that we got to mention, Dan Murphy, a member of the Browns communication staff, spotted at the Browns VIP draft party. I went back a couple times to make sure it was him, but Dan Murphy shows up as an extra in this movie. And there were probably others uh, that I missed as well. I'd, I'd love to go back and like go through with oh, a fine team find Brown staffers. At that, at that party at the end, one of the Elk and Elk guys, his, both of them might've been there, but definitely one of the Elk and Elk guys was there as, as everybody's walking up to the stage. I kind of uh, hard to miss him, but that was kind of the, that was the best weird cameo that I saw in there. It makes me mad now. I didn't know the story. It makes me mad that Mary Kay is not in this movie because Mary Kay and Mary Kay should not be walking into a gas station. Mary Kay should be like grabbing Sonny Weaver in the hall and being like, Sonny, what are you, you know, like asking a question that if we're going to have like three minutes of talk radio, like Mary Kay should be in this movie. If we're going to have Chris Berman and Rich Eisen and all this stuff, it's like have somebody represent real Cleveland media. So like I would go, you got to go back and add that in. And by the way, also Wallace Langham as the Chiefs GM for 19 seconds. He's been like on CSI with the Larry Sanders show. He's like a real actor. And he was in the movie for 19 seconds to be like, what do you want for Brian Drew? And that was it. Something I learned, the owner says he's going to see a a musical called Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. He jokes he's going to see that. I did not know there was a Spider-Man musical with music written by Bono and The Edge. What? You didn't know that? Oh, it was a huge flop. What did somebody, I should... somebody die when they were making that? Like, yeah, one of the actors fell and it was a huge thing. Yeah, it was it was supposed to like take over Broadway and it was a terrible bomb. <laughs> a, a couple trivia things. Scott, you mentioned Aurora. When Vontae Mack is driving in Virginia talking to Sonny, he passes the Bertram Inn and Conference Center located in Aurora, Ohio. There's a poster on the wall of the security guy's office. It's commemorating a 24-23 win by the Browns over the Carolina Panthers on November 28th, 2010. I don't know why this poster exists. I'm assuming it's real and somewhere in that Browns facility. It must mark something. The Browns, like I said, won the game 24-23. Who was their starting quarterback? 2010. And I'll, I'll give you this hint. They were playing the Panthers. There's a tie to the Panthers. Jake DeLome? Yes. Yeah. 24 of 35 for 245 yards and two interceptions in that game. Peyton Hillis also threw a pass as the Browns moved to four and seven on the season, beating Jimmy Clausen and the Carolina Panthers. So there's a poster on the wall commemorating that game. These are the things that I was doing while I was watching this movie, (laughs) looking up random facts like this. All right, Scott, I got to know, what is this pressing question? Ask me what the pressing question is. Aren't you going to ask me what the pressing question is? (laughs) <laughs> All right, this might blow up the whole movie. Okay, so Sonny Weaver fires his dad. His dad is a legend. Early in the movie, I think it was uh, Aaron Goldhammer says that Coach Weaver was football in Cleveland. Like he, the radio gets shut off before he says Cleveland, but it's clear he's going to say he says in. He's going to say Cleveland. I, I went back and I watched this like five times to make sure I heard it right, but. That's basically how they're building this guy up. They named the, the facility or the field after him, right? Everybody there talks about how great he is. He talked about how Sonny Weaver's stomping all over the legacy of his, of his father. What a shame it, it is what he's doing to that. Why is Coach Weaver so respected? 
they made clear at the beginning of this movie that like in real life, the Browns had been really bad for a really long time. They hadn't had any success, right? Coach Weaver, it's clear he has a huge tie to this area because he quote unquote is football or was football in Cleveland. How, how did that happen? How did the coach of a team that's been so bad for so long become so revered, let alone keep his job? Well, Brian Drew said they made the playoffs a couple times, right? Didn't Brian Drew say, like, in my eight years I've been in the playoffs? He's only been with the Browns with the two Browns years, though. though. Oh, He's only okay. been with the Browns a couple years. That's the, way, that's the way I heard it described. Yeah, there, there's a lot of, like, yeah, how, how bad are they? How good are they? What's exactly the state of the franchise? Because you have a perception that's based on the Browns in real life, right? But right. there's enough stuff here with like, okay, well, Roger Goodell, he's the real commissioner. And like Chris Berman and Deion Sanders and Rich Eisen, they're real people, but none of the GMs are real people. And it's not real. So you get, it's a little confusing on what is supposed to be real history and what is made up history. And I do think what exactly Sonny Weaver Sr. was, how successful he was, how revered he actually was, I do think it's really muddied in there, Scott, because... Yeah, the whole thing is they're not good right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of the whole plot is his him being this big figure and, and Sonny firing him and us learning why he fired him and everybody following the wife out there onto the field to spread his ashes, which is just, that's just creepy. Yeah, I just, I don't understand how he became such this, this huge figure for a team that they made clear the Browns were a bad franchise for a long time at the beginning of this movie. That, that's a really good question. I didn't think about that, but you're right because they do establish, right? Like the timeline is pretty realistic because they talk about the move. They talk about how the team came back and how they've been just terrible. So yeah. How does Sonny Weaver kind of fall into that as this legend? Obviously he was bad enough. Well, even though we find out that there were different reasons that he fired his own dad, he was bad enough that he did get fired but there would have had to have been some level of real success there beyond what like Butch Davis did or what Romeo Cornell did. We're talking probably, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good one. I mean, there's a version like if, if for instance, what if Sonny Weaver senior is like Marty Schottenheimer, but he had success early, but then if Marty Schottenheimer would have stayed in Cleveland for 25 years and like had sort of middling success after it, but he had a great run early you know, because Marty Schottenheimer coaches for like 18 more years after he leaves Cleveland. So it's like you can be a legend who's kind of losing it at the end and the team's going downhill, but you're still beloved because you've been here forever. Like, I think there's a version of that. But then that also makes me want to have like, if that's the case, then I want to have Sonny Weaver Jr., talking about oh when i was a teenager my dad was the coach and i used to come to the facility with him like they don't it's too it's not specific enough scott to really they could have established more of that as you said rather than having another let's have a talk in the media guide closet yeah i think it just goes back to lazy writing and i think the only reason this movie like maybe they got rushed like all these famous actors were available on like a tuesday and like so they had to get the they had to have the script done by then so they could film all these people for their 10 second cameos. Meet us by the swing bridge in the flats on Tuesday, guys. We got to film this movie. Maybe he was like a legend at John Carroll and the Browns hired him and he just never was. As all he had to do was like say that. That would have been so easy. Like he had, 
he was a high school coach at you could say like Ignatius or something. And then he, he coached, you know, John Carroll or, or whoever locally. And then, you know, worked his way into, into coaching the Browns and maybe things didn't work out, but he's still kind of a legend, you know, of football in, in Northeast Ohio. It, it, it wouldn't have been hard to. But, but to the point, he wasn't that good because Sonny's junior says, I just wanted to get my dad a ring. So he never won Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So like, he's a legend who never quite got over the top. I mean, again, there's enough family stuff, you know, I mean, Marty Schottenheimer's kid wound up being a coach in the league. I mean, like Paul Brown, Mike Brown stuff, right? That like, oh, I mean, like you could see how it actually could maybe happen. I just wish they would have spelled it out. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's one I never thought of. That's a good one. Um, I, I like that. Oh, I wanted to ask this because, Doug, since you and I have not seen it, and I'm just curious, the Vontae Mack thing, because we knew what was on the post-it note, Right, because we've all heard it; it's all over the place. I wonder, does that change it for kind of watching the movie? Like, if you don't know what's on the post-it note until they show you, I'm just curious. Do you think you would have seen it a little bit differently, at least leading up to the end? I'm sure at the end we would have been like, "Well, this was ridiculous, all the trades he made." But would there have been a little more drama? Yeah, I think maybe. I think it would have been a little more of an emotional reveal. But again, you, I, you, I think still everybody must have gotten caught up on it. it's like, all right, well, if it's Vontae Mack, no matter what, then why did you trade for the number one pick? So it's like, it's just such a, it's such a flaw in the thinking that like, all right, I guess the owner told you to make a splash. So like, were you going to set the Vontae back no matter what thing on fire? If you like, I don't, it, it's, a, it's an odd thing. I, I, it's a nice little device, but also his actions don't back it up for most of the movie. All right. Did you guys do your homework? I did not. Unfortunately, my, my post-it note homework. I'm curious if you guys came up with one. Yeah. You said keep you it guys, light, right? I keep asked it you guys light. to fill in, fill in the blank about what would be on your post-it note if you could send it back, blank no matter what. And I told you to keep it light. I didn't want this to turn like, you know, into some, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't want to have you guys laying on the couch telling me all your deepest, darkest <laughs> secrets. In my, in my five pages of notes, I, I, I didn't come up with anything. So uh, I'm curious if you guys did. So mine is moderately dark. It's not completely light. I think mine would be fewer carbs, no matter what, because I got diabetes in my thirties. And I was like, man, you should have been laying off that white bread, Doug, in your twenties. And you might've held it off a little bit longer. So, so I don't know, like if like, like if I was just like sitting down and it's like, I'm looking at like a plate of French fries and a plate of broccoli. And then it's like, I open up my post-it note and it says fewer carbs, no matter what. And I start eating the broccoli and people would be like, wow, that is emotionally resonant. Probably not a movie, but that's what I came up with. I'd watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Scott, did you have one? I did not. I totally forgot about it. I didn't. (laughs) I was like taking notes on everything else and I just... (laughs) <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Doug came through for us, so we can at least leave this part in. Yeah. Doug, Doug came to Doug bared his soul yeah. for us to uh to do this. By the way, the hundred dollar bill, Bill Belichick claims he invented that. So Kevin Costner in this interview I read said that he consulted with Bill Belichick or was talking with Bill Belichick and told him about the hundred dollar bill story. And Belichick said, Hey, I invented that. And I guess uh I, I guess one of the writers had met with some coaches from Belichick's staff and got that idea from him. Would you guys have sent the hundred dollar bill back? I would definitely like call or or something. I don't know if I would, 
I would definitely be like, I think you're trying to trick me. There's a hundred dollar bill in my playbook. Uh, I just want you to know that I saw it. So yes, I would, I don't know if I would send it back with a card. I think I would have, my first reaction would be, if I take this money, am I in trouble? Because I just came out of the NCAA, right? <laughs> I just came out of college football. And I'm like, I'd be like trying to figure out what, if a football team gives you $100, am I going to like get fined? Am I going to get, I would, I would have been freaking out, I think, about what that meant. I probably wouldn't have sent it back, but I would have mentioned it if they called, you know, after the fact or whatever. I also actually may just have kept it because I'm remembering a story. I remember coming out of a, of a football stadium one time and there was a $20 bill lying on the ground in the parking lot. And I like, I picked up the $20 bill and I started running around the parking lot, like waving it around my head. Like I found $20, I found $20. And it turned out to be a flyer for a strip club that like <laughs> half of it looked like a $20 bill. And then the other half of it was like, come to our strip club. Uh, and they were all over the parking lot. And I, I thought I had found like $2,000 and I was just a dumb sucker falling for the strip club ad. So I probably would have kept the hundred. That's brilliant marketing right there. Can I be honest, based on my studying habits in college, I probably wouldn't have made it to the hundred dollar bill. I probably would have gotten halfway through the playbook. That actually should be on my post-it note. Do your homework, no matter what. We'll finish college faster. Yeah. It probably would depend on what team it was if I would have finished it. If I'm if I'm somebody who is expected to be the number one pick and the people, well, I guess teams could trade up. I don't know. I, I think I would I would be like, I'd want to be prepared, so I'd be reading those things. But I think mostly I'd be freaked out about it. Okay, we're gonna wrap it up here. After all is said and done, you have the number one pick. Are you still taking Bo Callahan, or are you are you taking Vontae or Ray Jennings from the Browns? If I traded up for that number one pick, you mean? Yeah. Is Bo Callahan no, still calls and trying to get rid of it and get more picks? I got Brian Drew. I'm good. So Scott's I mean, trading down. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make the first trade. So like the movie would have stopped with like, and he turned down the Seahawks offer. And so, I mean, once you take it for positional value, you have to roll the dice in the quarterback because there's knucklehead quarterbacks who have a good arm who succeed in the league, right? I mean, it's like I, I think you have to roll the dice on that guy. And again, if Brian Drew, if Brian Drew's not a franchise quarterback, what are you trying to do? Like what, I, I, like where you've got to get a guy. You know, the idea that like Brian Drew is good enough, th that doesn't get it done in the league. And so I think, I think probably you end up having to roll the dice on Callahan and see what happens. The move would have been to trade down from seven though. Yeah. I still say if somebody's calling me wants to flip seven for one and only wants another first rounder and a third, I, I don't care what my team situation is. I'm, I'm taking that and I'm trying to turn it into more work my way back down to six or seven. If Vontae, Mack, really if Vontae Mack is on the phone with you saying, if I don't go seven, I'm going in the teens. And you've got a post-it note that says Vontae Mack, no matter what. You're trading number seven, as long as it's not with the Houston Texans. Oh, right. You're trading back to 12 or whatever to get yeah. your guy and add a future second rounder. Yeah. Exactly. That's the move. Come on. This isn't that hard. We should have written this movie. So the one thing I want to add about that, that is a Kevin Costner point is, so he does these things. This like at least is his third sports movie where like he does a crazy thing, right? So in a he is, in Field of Dreams, he builds a baseball field in a cornfield, right? But it's like kind of just his thing. It doesn't really affect anybody else. You're going to lose the farm, like whatever, but it's still his thing. In Tin Cup, he hits the golf ball in the water five times 
on the last hole. And it's completely unrealistic. And it's like, the guy's about to win the US Open and then he got a 13. And it's like, okay. But it's like, it, it all led up to it. It's who the character is. And so in this, Kevin Costner is just doing like crazy stuff. And it's supposed to like inform you about his character and like whatever. But like, I think it's less effective because it affects too many people. If you build a corn, a baseball field and a cornfield, that's just you. Golf is an individual sport. If you want to hit it in the water five times, hit it in the water five times. But like when you're a GM, you can't go off half cocked. So like, it's like a fundamental issue with like, it's just, you don't just get to do whatever you wild hair thing you want to do. Right. Even though I do think he has a decent line. That's like when he tells the coach, I give you the team and you coach or whatever, you know, that like your job, your job is to coach the team I give you. Right. Which there is some truth to that. But I think it's like sort of like this is not the sport to have Kevin Costner grappling with his inner demons, doing crazy stuff that might work out. It just it's that that's that can't be what football is. So I think that's the fundamental thing to this, that. Costner's good at this. I think he's the right guy for the role. It's just the whole premise is off. Doug, I, I know you got to go. I want to make sure everybody gets it. If there's anything they, that we didn't get to, you get to throw it in real quick. But I will say this. What's more realistic, this movie or ghost baseball players? Probably ghost baseball players, frankly. Because that guy's probably just looped, whatever. He's just probably, you know, he's looped on cider. I don't know if the ghost baseball players are actually there or not. He's just trying to get his dad back from the dead. So like, whatever, but I mean, there's just, but that's better. This is why I didn't ever want to watch this movie. I've also never watched the, what's the, I've never watched Moneyball. I've never watched the Paul D. Podesta movie. Cause it's like, I don't want to watch a baseball movie about baseball trades. That's what I do every day in real life. And sports is so fascinating on its own. You can't make up stuff in a sports movie that's more interesting than what actually happens in sports. Cause in this movie there it's like, Oh, the owner and Kevin Costner go to a water park. And he says, make a splash in real life. A homeless guy told the owner to take Johnny Manziel. If you would have had like, Oh, a homeless guy came up with the splash park and said, Hey, take, take uh, Bo Callahan. You would have been like, Oh yeah. Homeless guy. Sports is always crazier than what you can make up. So it's just, it's not like, I don't like sports movies cause I, I like the real sports better. I, I'm willing to accept players before I accept draft day. I mean, yeah. this movie ended with, with Kevin Costner turning to his mother and telling, having a baby, you're going to be a grandma. Like that was as if that was like the perfect walk away for this movie. It was just, it's just such a bad movie. We, so we have established ghost baseball players on a farm in Iowa, more realistic than what happened in the movie draft day. I like it. Yeah, that more realistic than trading like three twos and then a minute later trading that same pick for three ones. Yes, it is more realistic than that. All right, are we good? Is there any line, any any point you wanted to make before we go? Everybody good? I did like, and again, this is a family podcast. This is kind of like a family movie that just drops like a, a bomb, a swear bomb out of nowhere sometimes. I did appreciate like in the midst of this crazy draft day, Kevin Costner at one point just says, I've been stepping on my dong all day. But he doesn't say dong. But it's just like, yeah, you have. I think that's what the name of the movie should have been. Stepping on my dong. Like it's just whatever. It's like, yes, you're doing a terrible job. Thank you for acknowledging that the whole premise of the movie is nuts because you're a terrible GM. 
And then the kicker can be your farm sucks. <laughs> First watch for Doug and I and Scott's rewatch of draft day here on the Orange and Brown Talk pod. Make sure you're subscribed to Football Insider. I got to say that at the end of every pod. Uh, Cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. And listen, training camp is coming up. Uh, when you hear this, you'll probably know the training camp schedule, all of that stuff. So we got all sorts of stuff coming up here on the Orange and Brown Talk pod. Doug and Scott, thanks for doing this. Everybody out there, thanks for listening.